All right. Good morning, church. How's everyone doing this morning? Morning. Yes, I'm wearing a blazer. Let's get it out of the way. Um, I just found one in the closet that hasn't been used for a while, so I thought, oh, why not use it today? Um, who's here for the first time visiting Riverside, Lisbon? I spoke with you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Welcome. We are very glad that you are here. I'm sure some of them are visitors and they are traveling. Uh, you're here for vacation. We are happy that you choose to spend the Sunday morning with us to worship together and to listen to the Word of God this morning. But if you're staying for a long time, we would really encourage you to um, sign up for a life group. That is something we do uh, during the week. We don't want to be a church that just comes only on Sundays. We just came out of the series about stop going to church only on Sundays, but let's be a church that actually serves and worships all throughout the week. Um, yeah, and Ruben, last week, he picked up from coming out of the series, and he, Ruben talked about what happens when your faith is being tested, what to do when your faith is being tested, and how to handle it, and he gave some beautiful examples from the scriptures. He talked about Abraham. He talked about Moses. How's the experience with them? How they encountered God? And then they became these examples of faith. They became these witnesses of faith. And I was thinking about it, and I want to take a step back, and I want to ask, what is encountering God means? What is meeting God means? Do we still have access to God, like Moses and Abraham? And what happens when we are in his presence, right? I, I'm, I know you're thinking most of here, most of us here are probably Christians. You're here in church and some of us are still trying to uh, figure out Christianity. Whatever phase you are in and you know God and you have experienced God, maybe you have a conversion experience that the word of God spoke to you. You have the God moment, but I, I'm not here talking about that, only that experience of conversion, I'm talking about encountering God in your Christian life. So I was thinking about it. I'm like, we want to talk about it. We want to see what is a genuine encounter looks like. So I was thinking about Moses, Abraham, but this passage from the scriptures I really love about in Isaiah, the encounter of God or encounter of Isaiah with God. This particular one was in my heart for a very long time and I immediately want to talk about it as soon as they ask me if you can preach this Sunday. I'm like, yes, I'm going to preach on Isaiah 6. So we are going to turn to Isaiah 6 and we are going to read from verses 1 to 8. It will be on the screen and I'm going to ask uh, Mr. Barry with his bass voice to read it, please. Tenor. <laughs> Isaiah 6, uh, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Amen. This is God's word. Um, this, is, this chapter 6 is one of the crucial chapters in the book of Isaiah. Uh, they call it Isaiah's vision and Isaiah's mission, where God called him and he said, Here I am, send me. And that is one of the famous verses of this chapter, right? You've seen in plaids, in wooden boards, they write it in the wall. Here I am, send me. Uh, which is very cool. I really want our church to get to the point where we say, here I am, send me. But I also want to highlight, we can't get to the point of here I am, send me without going through verses 1 to 7. Without encountering God, you can't, you can't say it, but you probably, you can't do it. You can't do anything for God without knowing and encountering God. So let's go back to the first verse, Masood. So it says, the, let's, we're going to study the context here. So the verse says, in the year that King Uzziah died. So King Uzziah, just a uh, background, he's a king of Judah. He's the southern kingdom, and he's one of the good kings, comparably, uh, of the rest of the kings. And he's a military genius. He won several wars against Philistines, Ammonites, and he's building this kingdom really cool. And, and people are happy, people are, the whole nation is prosperous, and he's, a, let's say, he's a good king, right? And at the same time, what happens is, in the northeast, there's another kingdom that's coming up. It's king of Assyria. So Assyrian empire is starting to build up so fast, and they're going nation after nation, they're plundering nation after nation, and it's they're not uh, an easy country to deal with. Wherever they go, they just wipe the nation out. There's a bloodbath. And now they're looking at Israel now. They're looking south. They're like, oh, I'm going to go there next. Right now, but as a nation, Israel, is, Israel and Judah, is, they are pretty safe because they have a good king. And this happens in 740 BC when King Uzziah died. Right when they needed the king the most, right when they want the nation to be ready for war, the king died. The whole country, including Isaiah, probably are devastated at this point. They don't know what to do. There's another king on the throne. He's not as good as Uzziah. He's not obedient to God. And God is not working in the country anymore. And he probably, if you see the verses, it says uh, the, the, the door posters of the temple are moved. So he's probably in the temple. So Isaiah probably went to the temple in a Sunday morning, let's say. I don't know when, maybe not a Sunday morning. And he's there to hear God's word. Nothing special. He's not looking for a vision. He's just there maybe to get inspired, to encouraged, to see what's going to happen next. And I was thinking about it. I was trying to relate this. And I'm thinking, why are we studying a book that's written 2,000 plus years ago now? Are we now a modern culture? We don't have things like this anymore. And then I think about it. It's not that much difference. We still have wars. 
we still have power struggles. Nations still go against nations. And I'm, I subscribed to this website recently, and uh, it gives me the summary of news. Uh, I, I was trying to think that I'm not going to waste time, so I'm going to subscribe to this website. They just give me the whole summary of the world news. Uh, so they give me all the news about economics, about nations, conflicts, everything. And the last month, I've, I do not remember seeing one happy news. It's all about inflation. It's all about gas prices going up. It's all about US and Saudi not getting well along, so the gas prices are going to go up. Russia and Ukraine, there's lawsuits, there's conflicts, there's shootings in Thailand. And I'm thinking, we modernized. We got modern equipments and everything. But the human condition, the heart of human is the same. 2,000 years ago, it didn't change much. They're still selfish. They still want power. They still want self-centered attitude. And maybe you are here this morning, just you're tired of all this, maybe tired of a situation in life, and you just want a, a word from God. Maybe just you want a motivation, like Isaiah. You want a, something good, you know, with the world going crazy around. I just want something good. What if I told you God can give you more? It's not just a word. He can show you himself. He can reveal to you himself. The Bible says where two or three are gathered, he's present. And here we are way more than two or three. So this morning, let's open our hearts and be expectant of God to show up, to show up who he is, to show up his character. So we have our lives changed by encountering God. And here we go back to verse 1. Um, so Isaiah sees God. Let's see what he sees God. He, I want to point out three things here, right? I want to see the first part is, I saw the Lord high and exalted and seated on a throne, and the train of his rope filled the temple. So Isaiah st starts seeing this vision, and in this vision, the God is sitting on a throne. You know what happened just before that in the king year King Uzziah died. So Isaiah's problem is there's no king. The king died. He wants something, someone powerful. And God shows up right in his vision. The first thing he had does is, I'm sitting on the throne. I am the king. I know the world is full of kings, but they reign, they live, and they die. But the reign of God is internal. The reign of God is, is goes forever. And he's always on his throne. He's high and exalted. And I was thinking about the other moments that God showed up to Moses. He showed up to Joshua. And for Moses, he showed up in a burning bush. And for Joshua, the moment of theophany is he appeared as an angel of the Lord with a sword in his hand, super scary, and he just wiped out the army. And if I'm thinking about it, it for Moses, God wants to catch his attention with a burning bush. For Joshua, his problem is he has no one. He's scared to go to go to take control of the cannon. And then God shows up. I got it. And he shows up as an as a army commander. And here, God shows up as a king. And I was thinking about it. God reveals himself to each one of us in a way we want to see him. We expect him to see him. Whatever the situation or problem you are facing in, God can, if you encounter the real God, you will see him as a solution. He will be there as a solution, not, um, 
You won't, for example, we won't see a vision with a king and a throne. Maybe we will, but that won't help us. Like, okay, it's, we can't relate really. But Isaiah can relate. For him, he wants a king, and there he is, God seated on a throne. The second thing I want to read is in the following verses, it says, Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And the whole earth is filled, is full of his glory. That is a weird creature, right? Seraphim with six wings, two, two, two. Um, if you imagine the two wings are closing the feet, two wings are closing its face, and two wings is flying. Um, we have something called Unpacking Sunday. Uh, we do it on Mon the next day, which is tomorrow at 8 o'clock. We will study more on specific details. And Pedro is going to explain what the creature Seraphim is um, in more detail uh, because he has seen one, he told me. So... <laughs> Uh, expect So join tomorrow at 8 o'clock to know more about Seraphim. But honestly, it is one of the angelic creatures, right? Uh, we don't know what it is. No one has seen it. So it is one of the angelic creatures. It is flying and it's there, right? Let's first look at this last part of this verse. It says, the whole earth is full of his glory. What is glory? The psalmist says, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. And in Habakkuk, it's, it says the knowledge of glory of God will fill the earth as the sea fills, as the water fills the sea. So what is the glory of God? So in Hebrew, the word glory literally means weight, right? Weight, weight of something. So let's give an example. For example, if a big rock falls on the water, rock is heavy, water is not heavy, rock is more heavy. When it falls on the water, the water gets displaced, right? The water is moved. If the rock falls on the ice, it breaks the ice, it moves the ice away. If an object of heavy weight falls on an object of a lighter weight, it displaces it. And the God's glory, the God's weight is, it's, it's filled on the whole earth. It is infinitely glorious. It's beautiful. It is the biggest weight we have in this world. And that's what makes God. What happens when we encounter this glory? When God comes into our life, when we see God's glory, we can't be the same anymore. Just like a rock falls on the ice, we will be displaced. When, God, when you bring God as a concept in your life, yes, I believe God, I see God, you fit God in your existing patterns. You fit God in your existing behavior. And you shape God according to how you like to shape, right? Because you're not changing anything. It's not displacing anything. You're just putting God in a corner. But if you believe in God as a reality, when you encounter God as a reality of God's who God is in his full glory, it will displace you. It will change your life. Your priorities will be displaced. Your, your posture will be displaced. Moses says during when he was leading the Israelites out of uh, the desert, desert, and he was so tired, and then he asked God, God, please show me your glory. And God did let his glory pass by Moses, and he saw the glory. 
Have you asked God to show him his glory to you? And it does change your life completely. If you've seen God's glory in his fullness, if you've seen God's glory of who he is, it will change you. And it has to change you. If it doesn't change you, then you're not encountering real God. You are just thinking God in your own mind. The next thing I want to point out is the amazing word, holy. Um, For some reason, they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Uh, Before I I usually think, when I first started reading the Bible, I was wondering why is it like a song that doesn't make any sense? Why they're saying the three times? And as I study more, the word in Hebrew language, what they do is they don't have superlatives. They don't have great, greater, greatest. We add ER and EST in English. They don't have that. They repeat the words. So in, in 2 Kings 25, where... They found pure gold. In Hebrew, it doesn't say pure gold. It says gold, gold. We found gold, gold. And in in Genesis, it says the kings fell in a pit pit. Right? When you read it, it doesn't make sense, but it, it means they fell in a larger pit. Nowhere in the Bible, any character of anyone tripled. It's superlated three times, which is holy, holy, holy. This is beyond the expression in Hebrew language. They don't know how to express it. It's so holy. They just said, holy, holy, holy. The word kadosh, um, we usually think holy is pure. It's morally pure. God is very pure and we are not pure. But, but it's more than that. It's not just being pure. Holy means is entirely separate from anything that is. He's infinitely powerful, his infinite source of life is infinitely unique. And he's so unique, even the angelic beings, which are living in the presence of God, they can't look at the face of God. They can't look at God's holiness. They have to close their eyes. And this is the God with infinite source of life who created the cosmos and who created the trees, who created the plants and seas and water and you and me with the word of his mouth. This is the God who laid the foundation of the earth, the sun, moon, and stars, and everything you see. And this is the God who is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, who is powerful beyond our imagination. King David writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And this is a God so powerful and so holy that we sometimes want to be our personal assistant. Sometimes we want God to, hey, can you quickly come help me out here and then go back to your thing. J.B. Phillips in his book, Your God is Too Small, he writes this. In our stress or having a personal and intimate relationship with God, sometimes we are in a danger of creating a God who just exists to serve you. Yes, this is a holy God that is personal. He formed you in your wombs, in your mother's wombs. He, he knows you by name. He's for you. He's not against you. And yes, we can and we should have an intimate relationship with this God. But we also have to remember 
who is the God we are talking about? He is a holy, infinitely powerful God. He alone is worthy of worship and honor. And that's what this encounter looks like for Isaiah. He sees God as a king. And he sees God in his full glory that he displaces his life. And he sees God in his holiness, his infinite power, his infinite majesty. And that's what who God is. When we encounter God, we see the real character of God. Not something that fits our style. Not something that fits our imagination or our uh, way of living. No, no. He is God and we have to come in terms with God. And this was Isaiah's response. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. For I'm man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You see, there is a smoke comes out. There is a earthquake, probably, with the, with the sound of their voice. And if, if this is a common occurrence throughout the Bible. Wherever God shows up, there's usually an earthquake. There's usually uh, a lightning, lightning, thunder. And we see that in Mount Sinai when God shows up to Moses and Israelites. It's, it, the mountain was covered with smoke and there was, there was earthquake. So here it is. Um, Isaiah, he encounters God, right? He encounters God in all his glory, in all his holiness. And he sees God. What did he say? What I don't see is he didn't say, hey, nice to meet you, finally. Or he didn't say, whoa, God exists. I knew it. Or he didn't say, well, finally, you showed up. Here's the list of things you need to take care of for me really quick uh, while I'm doing other things. No, no, when you are in the presence of God, Isaiah was not thinking any of it. He's not even thinking, God, what about our country? Our nation is dying, the war. What do you want to do about it? He's not thinking any of it. What he's saying is, oh, to me, I'm ruined. In other translation, it says, it's over. I'm done. I'm doomed. In the presence of the Holy Creator, in the presence of God Almighty, Isaiah says, I'm nothing. I can't coexist with God. I can't say I can, I have the right to be next to God. If you're thinking, oh, that's scary, man. Well, I don't want to be with God. Well, wait till the end. It's not scary, but it is true that standing next to a God with your sinful nature is not going to be fun. And the other interesting thing in this passage is, he says, woe to me, I'm ruined, for I am man of unclean lips. He didn't say, he could have said, I'm, I have a bad heart, I have bad thoughts, or he could have said, I did bad things, I've, I'm so upset. But he said, I'm man of unclean lips. And if I'm thinking about it, I'm, I'm thinking, Isaiah is a prophet, right? He's one of the prominent prophets in the time, in his times. And his job is to tell the oracle of God. He received from God. He tells people what God told you. And what does he use to tell people? Did someone say blog? 
No, he don't write blogs. Those times they don't have magazines. He has to tell, he has to use his lips. He has to use his mouth to speak the oracle of God, which is amazing to me to look at it. That's his most amazing quality. That's his amazing strength, amazing gift, amazing morality, all the things he's doing. But when you come into this holy presence of God, the most amazing thing about you are the things that you are so proud of, that I'm the best in it, or I'm the pretty good, I'm doing God's uh, way. But if, when you come in presence of God, your moral standards are considered filthy. Your moral standards are considered unclean. It, it might sound harsh, but you don't want a God who is, who is the same standard as you. You want a God who is completely different. You want a God who is completely holy. You want a God that is not from here, who is completely entirely different. And that's the God you're talking about. It's like sun, right? Just infinitely bigger than sun. You, you, don't, you can't say I have the right to be next to the sun. It's not fair for the sun to burn me. Well, that's how sun works. It gives you light. It gives you good things for you. It cares for you. It, 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 it gives you source of life for plants, animals, for everyone. But if you get close to the sun, I was Googling what's the closest distance. It's like 4 million kilometers or something that NASA went once. You can't get closer than that. It's, you're going to die. And it's, it's the same goes with God. If he's a holy God, if he's an infinite source of power and life, you can't get close to him. Isaiah later says in chapter 64, all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of us are righteous acts are like filthy racks. We all shrivel like, up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. If you're thinking again, I'm a pretty good person. I, 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 I need God. I understand. Maybe sometimes, but not all the time. I, I don't have to depend. I'm an all right person. I, I know these other people who doesn't come to church much. They, are, they probably need God more than me. Then it means you haven't encountered God in his all holiness. It means you don't know the depth of your sinfulness. You're just comparing with others. John Oswald says about the human condition, he says, we are all proud, arrogant, self-centered, perverse, cruel rebels in which the stain of sin and sinfulness goes down to the last atom in the last molecule. The reason I'm here, it might sound like I'm like stressing on God's holiness and sinfulness. The reason I'm doing that is before we go to the next segment, talk about God's love. You, don't, you wouldn't appreciate or understand God's love without understanding who God is or without understanding who you are. That's the first step. We need to understand God in his character. We need to encounter God in his holiness. And that should break us to see how much God has to do to come to us. Then you won't say, well, it's God's job to love me. Of course, he has to do that. Like it's some throwaway item. Oh yeah, God's love. We talk about it all the time. He died on the cross. What's next? Teach me something new. It is the most unimaginable, undeserving, to be honest, unnecessary act from God to do that for you and me. 
let's see what happens in Isaiah's story next. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And in this part, I want to show you two things again. Here, when Isaiah confessed, when Isaiah said, oh man, it's done. I've seen the God Almighty. I have no hope. The first thing you see is the seraphs, which is, who is in the presence of God, flew to me with a live coal, which he had taken from the altar and touched it with his lips. In this passage, you see there's nothing from the part of Isaiah that has to be done to get in get his sin forgiven, get his sin atoned for. Isaiah is not doing anything. All he said is, I'm done. And God takes first step. God takes, makes a provision to bring Isaiah back into his presence. God makes a way for Isaiah to forgive his sins. Isaiah is not doing anything. And the other thing I've seen is, it's, it's so cool is, um, He's touching his lips. And if we just remember from the previous verses, the confession of Isaiah is, I have unclean lips. And that's where God touches it. God is ready to forgive you. God wants to bring you back into his presence. God wants to make a provision for you, so bring you back into presence. But he can only, God's power and God's salvation can only work as much as you repent. As much as you say, I have unclean, fill in the blank. Unclean word, unclean lips, unclean life, whatever unclean in your life. It depends on how much you want to repent, God can work in your life. John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. So if you're listening to me this morning, not sleeping yet, uh, you're asking, okay, I see you, I'm really bad, and God is really cool. Do we have any hope? Like, what do I do next? Where do I go? Yes, you do have hope. Um, if there's no hope, I wouldn't have been speaking this morning. There was another earthquake that happened 2,000 years later. Like the same one like Isaiah, after he died long, long back. And this time, God came down again. But he didn't come in all his glory. He didn't come in all his majesty. And this time when he come down, he was hanging on the cross. And Matthew writes, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rock split, and the tombs broke open. Jesus, who is God himself, who is heir of all things, in whom, through whom he made the whole universe, who is the radiance of God's glory we just talked about, and who is the exact representation of God. He sustains all things by his power. He was hanging on the cross to bring you and me back to his presence. 
this holy God, this God we talked about, scary God that we kind of portrayed, he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant. And he was made in a human form. He humbled himself and he died on the cross. And this provision was not made by you and me. We didn't make any effort from our side. It was purely God who made the provision, just like he made in the story of Isaiah. He took the first step and he died on the cross for you and me. And that's how much he loves you. Do you see the gap between God's holiness and your sinfulness? That was filled by the cross. Because, because God is not just a holy God. He's a loving God. His, his love is holy love. And he wants you back in his presence. The author of Hebrews says, We have this confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. The holy place is not restricted anymore. The veil is torn permanently. You have complete access to the God, this scary, holy, amazing, glorious, beautiful God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And God has to make this provision for you and me because he wants you. He wants you this morning and he wants to encounter you. Those stories back then, they were very, very peculiar because God wasn't available to them like he was available to us now. We have full access to God. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. I'm going to invite the worship team here. We're going to take some time. That's why we kind of switched the service order. We want to really pray and be in the presence of God to ask God to work in your lives. I, I want to see God's glory. I want to see God's holiness. I want God to displace my life. I want God to displace my priorities. More often what we do is we try to get to God through our moral standards, right? We, we try to be good. We try to read the Bible. Um, we do all these things so that we can get to God. And, and we see in Isaiah's story, he wasn't doing... God didn't ask Isaiah like, hey, buddy, okay, so now you confess your sin. Go live a good life and prove me. And then come back. And then we'll talk about it. He didn't say that. He, he atoned in sins right there. And we want, we want to have Isaiah's attitude of surrender. If you surrender today, everything, God will meet you there. And he will give you the joy and peace and satisfaction that's nowhere to be found except in Christ alone. So if you want to answer the question, if we can meet God, yes, absolutely you can meet God. But can I be in his presence? looks very holy. No, absolutely you can be in His presence through the blood of Jesus Christ. So, what happens if I'm in this presence of God? Well, your life will be changed. A genuine encounter with God changes everything in your life. Your attitude, your posture, your understanding of who God is changes. A genuine encounter doesn't saying that, well, I, I found out God exists cool. No, no. It, it, it changes your life. It, the glory weighs you down. You will be displaced. You will know who the true nature of who He is. So we're going to ask God this morning.
would like to stand up with me to reveal himself and his character to us. We want to ask God his holy presence. And we want to confess our brokenness and sinfulness so we can understand the depth and width of God's love, what it took God to bring you and me back. That's the mystery and the beauty of the gospel, right? Sometimes we think gospel is so basic. Now it's so mysterious. We want to live a life like Isaiah in God's presence, encountering the real God. And then you and me can say, here I am, send me. We want to see God first. Have the desire in your heart. God, show me this week. God, I need a God moment this week. Today, this morning. Show me who you are every day as I live this life. Just not a motivation or inspiration is not enough. I want to know God personally, intimately. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for revealing who you are to us. God, you're the creator of the cosmos. You're the creator of galaxies. You're the creator of everything we see. And we can't, re we can't create anything. You are the source of life. Everything we have comes from you. God, this holy majestic God, we, we, we honor you. We worship you this morning, God. God, we want to see your glory today. We want to, we want to understand what holiness means. We want to see who you are. God, reveal yourself to us. God, we want to ask with boldness through the blood of the cross, through the blood of Jesus. God, and thank you for what you did for us at the cross. Changes, displaces, move us every day as we walk through this life. God, we need you more than you need us. We really need you, God, in our life. The things we need to change, the things we need to solve. More than all, we need you. We need you for who you are. Help us. We can't take any steps to find you, but you would reveal yourself to us. And we want to ask that. We want to long for that. We want to desire that. We want to see you. In Jesus' name we pray.